we're going to just do something a little different today. We're going to turn to Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to read the entire chapter together. Give you guys a second to get there. Deuteronomy 6. I'll just start reading. You can catch up. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with, Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them with your, to your children, and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, hewn out wells, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Least the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempt him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all of your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asked you at the time, time to come, saying, What is the meaning of these testimonies, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there, and he, and he, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in, give us the land of which he swore to our fathers, and the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes. To fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So let's pray real quick and then we will get into it. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful for this scripture. We're, th we're thankful for 
your teaching of the Israelites and how we can apply to our lives, Lord. We ask you to come into this study and, 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 and show us your love, Lord, and show us your plans for us and, and, just, and just bring your mighty, mighty love into our lives, Lord, so that we can have fruitful lives and, 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 and speak of your greatness and the things you've done for us, Lord. I pray for this time in your mighty name, Jesus, amen. So why Deuteronomy 6? I know this is kind of out of nowhere. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense with what we've been doing. I guess it kind of fits into the family series a little bit. That really wasn't my intention. Because going into, uh, when after Tim asked me, or, you know, asked me to fill in because Tim's away, I kind of was perplexed with what to do. I, I, I'm teaching Luke at the home fellowship. And I was like, well, maybe I'll do something I already did. And I was like, ah, what's the fun in that? You know what I mean? So I was like, well, maybe I'll jump ahead. And, and, and I was like, ah, that doesn't sound that fun either. So I was like, you know what? I'll just pray about it. So, you know, and Tim teased me a little bit. So I, I, I went to the Lord because I couldn't figure it out on my own. And I prayed, Lord, what should I teach? Which, where should I go? And I have my own devotional calendar I've kind of generated over the years. And my reading for that day was Mark 12. And in, in Mark 12 is the greatest commandment, which is, you know, love, you know. So that I was like, there it is right there. Because when I taught Deuteronomy in the Bible college, I like weeped the whole time I studied chapter six because it just affected me so much. So I was like, that's it. That's what that, I hear you, Lord. I hear what you're saying. So um, that's why I chose this. So just a little bit of background on what's going on since we're like in the middle, not the middle of the book, kind of the beginning part, but really like, you know, just a little background on what's going on. The whole book of Deuteronomy, they're, they're on the border of the promised land. And this is actually Moses' final farewell. It's his farewell address to the people because he would not be going into the promised land because he disobeyed God. He struck the rock with the, sto with the staff for the second time and God told him to speak to the rock to get water to come out of it. So he was being punished. So don't lose your temper if you have a temper. That's what I take out of that, right? Deuteronomy means the giving of a second law. Like I said, it's kind of just a rehash. It's very repetitive. Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy more than any book in the Bible in the Old Testament. So, I mean, it's a book of great importance. It shouldn't be overlooked. Um, in chapters 1 through 4, you know, it, they were to remind the people of God's mercy and his goodness. Um, and chapter 5 is really the second giving of the Ten Commandments. So as we move into chapter 6, in this chapter, Moses discusses the motives for our, what the motives for our obedience should be and why we should honor God's law. We want to have obedience based on spiritual principles, not just personal opinions or emotional reactions. God gave this law so that they could apply it individually in their lives, but he also gave it to them so that they could govern their nation with it. Any nation that puts God first has flourished in the history of mankind, including America. Not all of the founding fathers were Christians, but the influence of the ones that were was so powerful that you can see it in our society, the laws, on our money, it says in God we trust. And, and uh, Rick Saccone actually has a book on all the stuff in our capital, that, had, that it, they just have scripture everywhere. It's just saturated with it. Our country was just founded on the principles of God, on Christian values. And anybody that tells you that's not true, they're not telling you the truth. But as we see, as we turn our back from God in this country and allow people to 
push God out of things, we see the, the, the deterioration of our society and how bad things are getting all around us. The law is also to reveal God to the people and draw them closer to Him in relationship. And that sounds crazy because most people that don't know God look at Him as just a bunch of rules. Man, He's a drag. He's going to ruin my good time. If you, if you want to know what the law meant to the people who were spiritually minded and devoted to God in the Jewish culture, and, and, and they were devoted to God in their hearts completely, read Psalm 119, and it tells you all you need to know about the people that loved God's law. In uh, verse 103, it says this, How sweet are the words, are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And that totally was not planned with the song that Livy sung tonight. There's also scriptures that reference God's law as delight, treasure, freedom, and the source of great joy. And people outside of the faith would go, how could that be? Come on, man. The Ten Commandments were inscribed on stone tablets, but the commandment we're going to read here in 6 is inscribed in our hearts. And that's the difference. So let's go back to verse 1. Chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. So the statutes he's talking about are about religious worship, and the judgments is really more about the, the judgments of their civil life. Our worship and our civil life should be sacred, just like sitting in here. Everything you do outside of here should be sacred. It just doesn't just go away once you leave this building. Our whole lives are sacred to God, not just when you're sitting in church. We are to learn and live from the Scriptures. Not just learn, you're supposed to live them out in your life. It's not just used as a tool. The Scriptures aren't just intended to be used to win arguments, to, to tell people what they shouldn't be doing. The word, he, he uses the word teach here, and it actually means to, to, to teach. It doesn't mean anything but that. It's to be taught, so it's to be practiced. So it's like a coach teaching alignment, a, 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 a technique. It's to be applied to your life. As we get on down further, when we talk about children, the word teach has a whole new, different meaning, but we'll talk more about that when we get there. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson in all the days of your life, and that you, your days shall be prolonged. These are things, these things are to be in your life, in your kids' life, in your grandkids' lives. Why? Why? Because God wants you to live a long and productive life. As a parent, I've wanted my kids to have a better life than I've had. That's my desire for my children. I don't want them to struggle. They will, but I don't want them to. I want them to have a better life than me. I want them to walk with God from the time they're young so they don't have to go through all the stuff I went through. Rules may seem like a drag, but when I look back as an adult at the way my parents governed my life, and really that's what you do. You govern your child's life. I understand better why they did the things they did and why the rules were enforced the way they were. They are love and protection. They're protecting you from yourself. 
You know, I, when I was in when I was in high school, it's 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 a funny coincidence. But when football season was in, I was a model student. I got good grades. The homework was always done. But as soon as football ended, it's like it was party time. Homework? That's for losers. That's kind of how I was. So I would get grounded as soon as the interim reports would come out halfway through the nine weeks. And then I'd have to fight to get my grades back up by the time we got the report card, and I always would. And then I would be ungrounded for another four and a half weeks when the next interim report would come out. And that was the cycle of my high school life until I was about a junior. But my parents did that because they loved me and they wanted me to have a future. That's what roles are for. God wants you to prosper in a healthy way. And prosper doesn't always mean money. That's not what it always means. And even though God wants you to prosper and His intention is for you to prosper in your life, trials will come. But when we live His way, He gives us the tools to overcome them. Verse 3, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses reminds them that, you know, this was the covenant of their fathers. It's easy for a generation to feel a sense of entitlement and, and that they're blessed because they're better and more righteous than the, than the generation before them, more deserving. But he only blessed them because of the covenant with the fathers. God only guaranteed the possession of the land with their obedience. And, and as we see in the book of Judges, as the generations pass, they will take it for granted. This quote by G. Michael Humph has always struck me. Hard times create strong men, and strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. And that's the story of Judges. That's the rotation of Judges over and over and over again. In our very own country, men are under attack. They emasculate men. They tell women they don't need us. Be independent. You don't need a man in your life to be successful. Men and women need each other. We must stay humble and obedient for the sake of our next generation. In this way, we won't produce weak people. Moses refers to Canaan as the land of milk and honey six times in this book. You've all heard it probably more than that. It describes the riches and the fruitfulness of the land. Milk, of course, is staple food, and honey is a luxury. It would provide everything they needed, pasture for their flocks and herds, plants and vegetation for the bees to pollinate. How could they not love and obey the Lord? How could they not with, with, with the way He blesses them? Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the Jewish confession of faith called the Shema. It comes from the Hebrew word that means to hear. Still to this day, young Jewish boys, I'm sorry, all Orthodox Jews say this confession and recite it every morning. It's a big part of their lives. It's actually kind of cool. I wish I'd wake up every morning and say this. Jewish boys are required to memorize it as soon as they are able to speak. Saying Jehovah, our Elohim, Jehovah is one. Elohim, of course, is plural for God. 
and Eloa, I think that's, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, is, it was more like the singular, singular name for God. But Elohim here suggesting that God is everywhere and he is everything. The nations around them worship many gods. Israel was just trying to affirm that there is one God. They were contrasting those Gentile nations. The word one here, I'm sorry, Israel, you know, the word one here comes from the Hebrew word ehad, which means unity as well as the numerical number of one. It's the same word used in Genesis 2.24 to describe the union of Adam and Eve. It also carries the idea of uniqueness. There is nobody like our God. I love that song, There's No God Like Jehovah. I love that song, right? We all love to sing it. The pagan nations had many gods and goddesses. They, it wasn't unique. Our God is unique. Verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Is it possible to command somebody to love? That all depends on your view of what love is. The world's view of love is emotional. It can be at times very selfish, the world's view. You don't look as good as you used to. I've fallen out of love with you. I'm, getting what I, I'm not getting what I need out of this relationship. The Christian view of love is quite the opposite. I'm sure there's some mornings when I do my cartwheel out of bed at 4 o'clock in the morning because I'm a happy morning person and I'm not quiet and I'm singing sometimes to my dog. So if you've heard that rumor, it's not a rumor, it's true. I just make a lot of noise. I'm not quiet. I'm sure there's times Cindy just rolls over and goes, oh, he's so annoying. And I don't, I don't blame her. It probably is annoying. But she still gets up and she chooses me anyway. And there's probably far serious issues in my life than making noise in the morning, but she still chooses me anyway. Just like God chooses to love us when we fall short. Don't put heavy, heavy expectations on your spouse. You'll be gravely disappointed. Choose to love them every day. And that's what real love is. God truly can't command us to love. He really can't. So he, 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 he would show us how He could love us. You know, He can't command me to love Cindy. But, you know, he, he would show us through John 3.16 how to love. God so loved, dot, 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 that He gave. Those are the only words I'm going to say from John 3.16. God so loved that He gave. I have a son, and I don't think I'd sacrifice him for a single person sitting here. And I know that sounds terrible, but it just shows you how powerful it is that He gave His Son up for us. I would say, God, take me. Don't take him. Please don't take him. The virtues found in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, love suffers long and is kind. Love's, love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things hopes all things, and endures all things. 
This is about how we treat people, not about how we feel about them. There's probably people that you go to church with that annoy you. Does that mean you should treat them poorly? Is that what God would do with you when you're being annoying? Is that what Cindy does with me when I'm singing to my dog in the morning? We can lay our lives down to fulfill the, this commandment. Not only for our wives and children, but for our co-workers, our friends, and I dare say even maybe a stranger. The commandment is a call for you to give the totality of your inner person to God. When we do this, the feelings will follow. You may not, you know, you may not love a person until you really get to know them. Give people chances, even if they give you a really bad first impression. The love of God will overflow out of us into a world that is desperately looking for love in all the wrong places. I know it's a song, but build a relationship with God. And how do you do that? Sit down and actually talk to Him. And a lot of people will say, well, I do a 15-minute devotion every morning. That's great. I, I do devotions. God wants your devotion. He doesn't want you to do just devotions. Imagine if Cindy woke up every morning and I had a 15-minute conversation with her. And I said, all right, I'll see you tomorrow if I have time. And that was the last time I talked to her until the next time I had time to talk to her for 15 minutes the next morning. Is that a relationship? You think that's what God's looking for? Yes, do your devotions. They're great. But God wants your devotion all day. He wants you to live out a life of love like he does. And by doing all these things we've been talking about, that's how you can do it. Yeah, people are going to rub you the wrong way. You're going to have bad moments. But anytime you have a bad moment, I like to call it the Apology World Tour. It's not that hard to say, I screwed up, I'm sorry. One time a guy at work said something that hurt my feelings and upset me. And the guy was upset that I was upset. So he was talking to other people, and they said, just go up and tell him you're sorry. He's a Christian, he'll forgive you. And he came up to me and said he was sorry, and I said, I appreciate you apologizing. And then the guy sitting next to him went, I see, I told you to forgive you. It's really that easy. Verse 6, And those words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Teach them diligently, not when it's convenient for you. And the word diligently means to do it with care. The word teaching here means something different than what we read in verse 1. This is what I was talking about earlier. Every other place the word teaching in this scripture, in this uh, verse 6, is used in the Bible. It is talking about wedding. And it's W-H-E-T. I had to look it up because it, I was having a hard time understanding it. And what that is, is it's sharpening a knife. So when we're teaching our children, we're just repeating, repeating, sharpening that knife. Repeating, repeating, take the garbage out. It's Tuesday, take the garbage out, Rusty, it's Tuesday. Rusty, it's Tuesday, take the garbage out. Right? Kids don't really hear everything we tell them. So we have to keep working on them and, and just sharpening them and sharpening them. Tell them over and over and over again. 
It's up to you to teach your kids about God. Not your pastor, not a school teacher, not the Sunday school teacher. If you don't teach them who God is, the world will. Would you like Disney to teach your children who God is? I'm going to tell you right now, they don't hold the same values our God, our God does. Sit with them at dinner time. This is such a big deal. You know, even before we were Christians, it's something my wife put in place. We will eat dinner at the table every night together. Why? Because you can't get away from us then. You will not take food up to your room and eat by yourself. They're a captive audience for you. And not only that, just, just it gets people, it gets you talking to each other. Because we all know how teenagers are. They go up in the room, they think they're, you know, they don't need you anymore. But we have them for that half hour, 45 minutes when we eat. And it's amazing whenever kids used to come over and they would eat dinner with us and they'd be like shocked that we sat and ate as a family. And they, they would say, we never do this at home. It's such an important part of our family culture that we eat together and we talk and we ask each other how our day went. Um, you know, and another thing with, with eating is, you know, we would always pray before we would eat. And, you know, I used to lead us in prayer when we would eat. And I would ask Rossi, hey, you want to you lead us in prayer tonight? He'd say, no, no. You know, he's, he was still pretty little. I think he was four, maybe even five when I started asking him. Next time I'd pray, and then the next time I'd go, you want, you, want to, you want to pray for us? No, 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 no. And I would ask and ask and ask. And, and then eventually he learned a prayer at preschool. And I can't remember what it was, but I bet you Cindy knows it. We can, you can ask her afterwards. But it was a cute, this cute little prayer. And I watched this kid say the same prayer for three years. And then I would say, hey, you know, add a little bit to that. Like, you know, talk, make it personal, right? Let's just not repeat the same thing. But, you know, I said it in kind of a nice way. I didn't want to, like, you know, make him think he wasn't doing good enough. So now when he prays, it's a little more emotional. It's a little more personal. He still prays for us to this day, every day before we eat. That's sharpening your child. That's showing him the ways of God. And, and we've tried to do devotions over the years, but I'm just going to be completely honest with you. They, they would tinker out after a couple of months, maybe a couple of weeks. It's, you know, one kid's going to softball, one's going here, I'm going here, wife's going there. It's hard to tie everybody down at one time. But that time during dinner was our time. And we would pray and we would have a chance to talk to each other. When you're walking, we don't really walk too much as Americans, so we'll just say when you're driving, provoke them to talk about God. If there's a song on the radio, I mean, Tim said this before, but it's brilliant. How do you feel about that song? What does that song do for you? What do you think about this? Me and my son have a lot in common. We both like science fiction, so we can talk about that, but we can find a way to spin it about God somehow. When my, when, my, uh, when my kids were little, we did this. You know, we, we, we sat down with them before bed and we prayed together. We would, you know, we did that for several years when they were little and then eventually as they became, you know, teenagers, I'm hopeful they do it on their own. Uh, you just keep, got to keep wetting the knife over and over and over again. It's never too late. You're a parent until the day you die. And you'll never stop being your child's parent. And you can always continue to try to help them nurture their relationship with God. When they show interest in anything that has to do with God, feed into it. 
help them. Some of you may wonder, I did all this and my child still became a prodigal. Some of us have prodigals living under our own roofs. They don't want to follow the rules. Take the car keys. If they're living under your house and driving your car, don't have any part of it. Don't participate in their sin. Don't turn your head away when they do sin and act like nothing's going on. Oh, I didn't see nothing. Stand next to your convictions in God. Show them your relationship with God is real and serious. It may even fracture your relationship with them. And at that point, you need to turn to prayer. Proverbs 22.6 says this about your children. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, when he is old, he will not depart from it. That doesn't mean they're always... It may take your death to bring them to the Lord. That's a reality you have to face. But that's a promise from God. And they don't forget. My man Joe Foch said it best. When September 11th happened... The, they couldn't. They didn't have enough room for all the prodigals that came back. When the when when stuff when bad stuff happens, they know where they have to go. Love them from whatever distance they are. If they're in the bedroom upstairs, love them from down in the living room. They don't want to talk to you. They're sick of this church stuff. Whatever whatever's going on, love them from that distance. Don't try to grab a hold of them because the more you try to struggle with them, the further they will get away. And please don't feel ashamed if you have a prodigal. God has prodigals. He's the greatest father that has ever been and ever will be. I'm a prodigal. I grew up in a Methodist church. I went there every Sunday with the promise of a happy meal. But I, I've, I heard the Word of God my whole life, and I sure didn't live it when I became a teenager. I didn't have parents guiding me all the way through the steps, but... I was still hearing the word, but I came home. When, when things got so bad, and I was working with essentially the prodigal son, he, when he was working in the mud with the pigs, that was when enough was enough. And when my life got so bad, enough was enough. And I started to search. Prodigals will come home. Just keep praying for them and keep loving them from whatever distance they are. If they're 5,000 miles away, every opportunity you get, love them. Don't lecture. Just love them. Verse 8, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be like frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word here I want you to notice is as. So the Jews took this quite literally. They would attach little boxes with Scripture on the wrist and around their heads. They would put the same kind of thing on the entryway called the mezuzah. But the problem with this was the boxes would get bigger. It almost became like a show, like, look how righteous I am. But the mezuzah, they would touch it before they entered. This is actually pretty cool. I'd like to have a mezuzah at my door entryway. They would touch it before they entered. It was a sign that this was a sanctuary of the Lord. It was a holy place. You were entering a house of God. My wife's already all over this with our house. I mean, I'm not sure if there's a room in our house that doesn't have Scripture plastered all over it. 
And at my desk, I have Psalm 8410 because it's a scripture that impacts me. And it says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And that is to remind me that I want to do whatever God wants me to do on that day. Whatever He asks me to do. Fix a toilet, preach a sermon, usher, I don't care. Whatever. And that keeps me humble and keeps me thinking, that's what I want to be. It's better to be a doorkeeper than to be with the wicked. But what this means is God's Word should guide our hands. That's the actual meaning. It's not supposed to be you wear Scripture and boxes on your arms. You want God to... to to you know, guide your hands and help control your actions. Because all of our actions should be godly. God's Word should affect what we look at with our eyes. Think about the horses with the, with the blinders so that they don't get scared by what's to the right or the left of them. That's how we should be. Like, you know, just, just, just don't look that way, right? Don't look that way. You know, in... in it was, they, but they would turn it into a way to make them look righteous, to make themselves look righteous. Our actions will speak much louder than our mouths ever could. You know, it's a real struggle at times at work because I work with all men. And I, I'm not up here to bash my coworkers, but there's times where if a woman walks past a job site, it's like the whole job site shuts down. It's like they can't even like imagine, it's like the first woman they've ever seen. And I'm like this, looking over here. And they're like, Brad, look. I'm, I don't want to look. And I'm trying to, to, to speak a testimony in my life that I don't want to look. They, they don't get it, though. They just think I'm a drag. They think I'm, I'm boring. Verse 10, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full. God talks about all the material things He's giving them. And it sounds a lot like us because I didn't build my house. I kind of moved into it and, you know, I had to buy all my own furniture. But I'm just saying, like, we, you know, God blessed me with that house, right? I mean, it's not like I built it with my own hands. But, but this is kind of speaking about us as believers. Like, you know, we get saved. We say our repentance prayer. We're excited about God. We, we, we start digging into the Word. We grow. Every, everything begins to come together in our lives. We begin to prosper. It doesn't always mean money. But prosperity can bring laziness. We begin to forget all about what the Lord has done and the blessings that He's given us in our lives. We fall in love with the gifts and we forget about the giver. Verse 12, Then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And God says, Be, beware. And the word forget here means set aside. We can't set God aside. We can't let the busyness of this world get in the way. And we all, we all have the seasons in our life where we do that. Um... God's, uh, you know, don't cool off. Keep your zeal and continue to pursue Him. Don't just stop. Continue to challenge yourself when it comes to God. Take classes if you have to. Study on your own. You need to keep a loose grip of the things of this world. 
13, verse 13, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him. You shall take oaths in His name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Least the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Verse 13 was one of the scriptures Jesus used against Satan when he tried to tempt him. Jesus tells us that we can rebuke Satan, worshiping God alone. In this time and age, we are not surrounded by countries that are worshiping other gods like Israel was. We are surrounded by the God of materialism. We're surrounded by, we're oversaturated with sex. We worship celebrities. We're into fast cars. That's what we do as Americans. We chase everything under the sun to get things we don't need that won't fulfill the emptiness we have inside. But everything God gave us with that great privilege of everything He's blessed us with comes a great responsibility in our lives. Verse 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him and Massa. This situation happened in Exodus 17. There was no water to drink and the people started to grumble. They started to complain. We all know they did a lot in the 40 years they were in the wilderness. God is asking us to trust Him. We don't want to tempt Him by our complaining and our grumbling and our impatient, being impatient. Um, not trusting Him is not having faith. Period. Have you ever had someone ask you to do something and they text you to see if you're really going to do it a couple days later? Remember how that makes you feel? Well, that's what you're doing to God when you don't trust Him and the things He's promised you in your life. All things work for the good that love God, Romans 8.28. And you have to trust that. Verse 17, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, His testimonies and His statutes, which He has commanded you. There's the word diligently again, which we said before means to do it with care. We've got to keep His commandments with care. Everything is different when people do things with care. I, I would love it if everybody in my work cared. I would love it if everybody in life cared. Life would just be better if we all cared more about each other and about what we were doing. Verse 18, And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. You are always in the sight of the Lord. So do what is right. If doing what is right in God's eyes causes trouble in your life, your character will remain intact. God only cares about your character. He doesn't care about your reputation. Because your reputation is what other people think about you. Verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come saying, what is the meaning of the, the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you? Don't hide your battles from your children. Don't hide your struggles. Be real with them. Tell them where God brought you from. They look at you like you're a superhero when they're little. But show them that you need Jesus more than anything in your life. 
Ross, Lenina, I can't do it without him. You can save them so much hurt and nonsense in their lives by just sharing what you've been through. Verse 21, then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all the household, all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our, for our good always. It's for your good. All this is for your good because he loves you. That he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. There would be no better joy in my life than to see my children walk and serve the Lord. We find our righteousness in Christ. We only have the commandment that, that he read in Mark. He says we can hang everything on that. We need to follow the commandment in Mark 12, 29. My inspiration for doing tonight's sermon for my devotion. I did a devotion. I'm not saying devotions are bad. Jesus, uh, verse 29 of chapter 12, Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandment greater than these. And in Matthew 22:40, because he didn't say this in Mark, on these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. So as we go out into the world, be so full of the love of God that it overflows out of you. And we need to let the Holy Spirit take control of our lives. And when we do that, Jesus can accomplish anything with us. And we can reach anyone with our love. Will you please pray with me? Lord, we're so uh, thankful for this time that we get to spend with you. And as we go out of here, may we, may we love our strangers, our brothers, our sisters, unbelievers, the prodigals. Lord, give us the ability to show your love to them. And we ask for blessing in all of their lives that they will hear the words we speak and they will trust in you, Lord. And in Jesus Christ's mighty name we pray, amen.